0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Deeper Daily Podcast. It's the 21st day of April, and today we take a look at this moment where Jacob crossed his hands in Genesis 48, lays his hands on his grandsons, grandsons that he had adopted as his own sons, thus elevating them to this You could say ceremonial position, but in some respects, a very literal position as the firstborn. And and they literally weren't born first. That's impossible. They're grandsons. They're not his sons. But ceremoniously, he brings them to the firstborn position, which in respects to inheritance laws of the Hebrew people, makes them literally the firstborn sons. If that be the case, then when you take this story and you put it into a new covenant lens in which you're trying to see the story through what Christ represents and what Christ has done on our behalf, then you take a look at a firstborn son, Jesus, what Paul calls the firstborn among many brethren. Um, and that doesn't mean that God had a second son, but that all of us become the brethren of, of Christ. We all become a part of that family. And then Paul would take that language and add to it this concept of adoption in which we have been adopted into the family of God through Christ. So we come into Christ through the firstborn and thus in a ceremonious, perhaps literal sense, are made the firstborn of God. But then when you take the story of Jacob actually blessing the grandsons, You get another glimpse of something that Christ talked about in his ministry and something that I believe he did on the cross. Jacob crosses his arms over so that his right hand blesses the younger son and his left hand blesses the elder son, thus effectively elevating the younger son into the position of the first son. Jesus says in the Gospels that the kingdom... One of the definitions of the kingdom, and there are multiple definitions of what the kingdom works like, looks like, feels like, responds like throughout the Gospels, one of those is the last shall be first and the first shall be last, which is a fascinating statement that could be interpreted a lot of ways. But within the context of the kingdom, it seems as if Jesus is saying the kingdom is going to be inverted. It's going to be opposite of the way the, the structures of the world are because in the power structures or the hierarchical structures of the social stratus of the world, the strong survive, the rich get ahead, the powerful do better. Those who are weak, lowly, backward, ignorant, poor, they go to the bottom And then everyone sort of climbs on top of them. That's how the world works. That's what we call, quote unquote, the real world. Jesus introduces the kingdom, and he does this really in a counter move to some of the conversations he's having with his disciples who say things like, oh, which of us gets to be the greatest in your kingdom? A statement that makes Jesus, I think, sick to his stomach. You don't understand how my kingdom works. It isn't about who gets to be the greatest. He says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must become the servant of all, which is another way of saying, if you want to see how this power structure works, flip the pyramid upside down where it isn't about climbing up through looks and money and power and influence. It's about serving and therefore In that kingdom, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. That which has become accustomed to getting to go first because of its wealth, looks, intelligence, power, influence. In the kingdom, that gets you nowhere. And thus, what got you into the door in the natural world puts you last in line in the kingdom. All of that stuff is actually a liability in the kingdom because it's man trusting man. Whereas the kingdom of God is, flip it around, he who would be last, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. That last, that which under the the definition of the systems of the world would be the last worthy person, becomes the first worthy person because they have none of those natural things to fall back on. Therefore, when Jacob crosses his hands, he puts the inheritance blessing, the right hand, that what Isaiah called the righteous right hand, he puts that on the head of the last son and then puts the left hand on the head of the first son, thus promoting from the bottom up. So that which is last becomes first, that which is first becomes last. Jacob is showing a prophetic glimpse into the kingdom of God. There's another way to see it. At not as if they are separate, but maybe maybe two sides of the same coin. And that is that when Christ came, he came to redeem Israel to be her savior. And at best, the prophetic language seems to uh, see the Gentiles as someday they get to come in too. But at Calvary, it's almost as if God crossed his hands and not pushed Israel back as much as pulled forward the rest of the world so that what is happening on the cross is not merely a sacrifice, sort of a scapegoat for Israel or an atonement day sacrifice, but rather a universal sacrifice for all, pulling in both his Jewish accusers, and his Roman accusers, pulling in the Jew and the Gentile, sort of a hands crossing over to bring to the forefront all of those through the cross, to bring to the forefront all those who have been left behind, stepped on, marginalized, forgotten about. Once again, God crossing his hands at Calvary, doing the unexpected so that what happens there is not what man thought will happen. Um, so as Jacob says to Joseph, listen, I know what I've done and, and the older shall become a great people. This is verse 19 of Genesis 48, but the younger shall be greater than he, his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And I think he's speaking beyond just Israel there. The descendants of that right-hand crossover will become a multitude of nations. That's us, a multitude of people from nations all over of all time. Tomorrow, Long Form Friday, we'll introduce it and we'll play it for you. I hope you'll come back and check us out. See you then. God bless.